0: Welcome to the Mini Dairy Goat Podcast, all things miniature dairy goat. Not too big, not too small, just right. I'm your host, Carrie O'Neill. Join me as I guide you through the enchanting and addicting world of miniature dairy goats. All right. Hey, many Dairy Goat friends. It's Carrie. We're back with an exciting episode. I've got a few special guests on this episode, and we're talking all about the recent Agda convention that was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It was a really great convention uh, for myself. This was my third convention. I went to the convention when it was here in Texas back in 2016 when it was in Austin. And two years ago, I went out to Tucson, Arizona and attended convention and learned a ton. And uh, just here in the last couple of weeks, got back from convention in Tulsa, made some great friends. And that's who I've got today. But just want to give a shout out to the Texas Mini Milkers and the Miniature Dairy Goat Association. We put together an awesome educational booth that was in the vendor area at, at the convention at the hotel there. And had a lot of information on what is a miniature dairy goat. It's not just a small standard breed. Talked a lot about the benefits. Just really trying to get the word out to the Agda community that, hey, we are serious. We're breeding quality dairy goats. We're trying to improve the breed and letting them know like, hey, if you are putting a Nigerian buck on your standard does, um, those goats are marketable and you can register them. So I had some little bookmark giveaways, and gosh, they almost cleaned me out of those. Uh, Thank you to MDGA for sponsoring those cool little neat bookmarks. So without further ado, let me announce our special guest. So we have um, some guests from the West Coast um, here on the podcast. We have Wendy Valentine. So those of you who have been around a while, you'll know the name. She's the legend and uh, she's here with us tonight. And we also have Toby and Nick Esh, and we'll get them to introduce themselves and tell us about the farm. So let's turn it over to you, Wendy, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Okay. So um, my farm is Soaring Hearts Farm and I have been raising goats since 1994. That was a Nubian And then probably got into miniature Nubians, I want to say around 2009, something like that. Um, My farm is in Snohomish, Washington, which is just a little bit north of Seattle. And I have had Nubians, Nigerians, many Nubians, and now pretty much exclusively many Nubians, except there's a couple little Niges that are here till they cross over. Um, what can I, I? I don't know if we want to talk about it now or later, but I'll go ahead and do it now because I'll remember. Um, this was my fourth convention. Uh, I've been to two in Boise, I met Carrie in Austin, Texas. Um, I'm groomed with Margot Begley And for those of you in Texas, you're going to know who that is. Mm-hmm. And this one in Tulsa and I just, if I could, I would go every single year. There is just so much to learn, and it's such a valuable um, resource. There's nothing like it in the world, honestly. So I yeah, guess no. that's me, that's my farm. Let's go.
0: We're going to, yeah, let's do it. We're going to talk about the content and everything we learn, but um, my joke about convention is that it's, Probably one of the only times where you can seriously talk to every single person there nonstop about goats. And it's perfectly acceptable. It's perfectly normal and it's not awkward. Um, I don't know about you guys, but in my day to day life, you know, I'm always looking at other pictures or I've got like a ton of goat pictures on my phone. And when you're kind of not in that goat crowd, um, it's kind of like, what are you looking at? Um, so it's always fun to be at convention with like minded people. So now um, I'll turn it over. uh, Our next guest are Tovey and Nick Esch. I'll turn it over to you guys. Tell us about yourself and your farm.
2: All right. So our farm is Cherrywell Quillet. Um, We are newer breeders. I think we're going into our fourth year now. Um, I have had pet goats since 2014. So I had a couple Nubians and they were just kind of hanging out. We actually still have uh, the one Doe who's, you know, she's still kicking (laughs) it out. Um, But we primarily have mini Nubians now. We are kind of getting more into the standard Nubians as well, just because we really like showing and there's more opportunities with Adga. So we're kind of, we're going to have like a dual program going on here. But um, yeah, we, we, uh, this was our first convention and we were very excited to go and kind of Get to absorb all the information and meet lots of people and build those relationships um but yeah it was pretty exciting.
3: yeah i was gonna say um like like carrie said um it is one of the only places you can just go talk about goats and um if, <laughs> if anyone gets around me you know i can talk i'm being <laughs> careful but, uh, <laughs> i think that, that aside from the just the immense amount of knowledge that you can absorb at a convention um like i said i think the bigger benefit is the people that you meet i mean you you as you as you're in goats like carrie said you're looking at all this stuff all the time and you see these herd names and you see these goats and then you go and you meet the people behind the goats and you understand why those herds are where they're at um and sometimes you get to understand the reputations behind those herds for better or for worse um but i say this this year has probably been our our biggest learning year we got to we got to go to the national show Badga National Show in Redmond, um, which is an amazing experience, Um, different than the convention, but just as beneficial because you get to see goats of top caliber in person and get an idea of what you're actually seeing and what people are talking about. Um, And then we've been lucky enough to make some good connections and gotten to do some farm visits and now convention, and, and it's given us a completely different perspective on our on our breed, our program, and then our path forward. So we're just excited to get everyone in on it.
0: Yeah. So it sounds kind of like the theme here is education and relationships. So with that being said, what we're going to do now is just kind of give you a podcast listeners, a rundown of what, what is convention and what does it encompass? What does it entail? Um, A couple of us, Wendy and myself uh, arrived early on Monday And then the Eshes got in late Wednesday and stayed and I had to leave early on Saturday. So you guys are really going to get a full, the full time, um, an experience point of view on what classes we took, kind of, uh, we won't reteach the class, but we'll just share with you some key takeaways um, so you can, uh, you know, get excited about this. And hopefully at the next, we'll share some more details at the end of the podcast about where the next convention is going to be. Um, but hopefully we'll have some more mini breeders out there and, uh, really, uh, you know, talking about our breed and, uh, learning and improving our breed. So, yeah, so kicking it off. So I cruised up on Monday, um, Wendy flew in. So I had like an eight hour drive when Wendy uh, flew in and I barely made it in time. There's a welcome, uh, dinner that is Monday night. And I walked in, you know, ragged from the road and there sat wendy uh an luckily with an open seat next to her so i quickly you know gave her the elbow and you know hey wendy and sat down and that was really fun to catch up wendy um also at our table um were a few uh, representatives from agda that were doing some of their it stuff so that was really interesting to learn what they were doing wendy do you have any other insights into that welcome dinner The food was good. No, but it was
1: the best meal of the whole week. So (laughs) that was really fun to have you walk in. And I was like, I don't know if I'll know anybody, but that was fun.
0: Yes. So, uh, you know, Monday night. So we were pretty tired, but did that. And that's, um, they also have a membership meeting. Uh, at that same dinner where um, if you're in AGDA, you can stand up and voice any um, concerns that you have. And then they also have a pioneer program where they made some special recognitions to some longtime AGDA members. So that was pretty cool. Um, Okay, so the education pretty much kicked off on uh, Tuesday. Wendy, I know you took the artificial insemination, the AI workshop. You want to tell us a little bit about that?
1: Sure. So this is my adventure in artificial insemination. I uh, had four of my books collected. It's the first time I've ever done that. That was a learning experience all in and of itself. Um, and I needed to take a class. In fact, the AI workshop was one of the main reasons I went. It was actually a, a whirlwind of a class. I had already put cedars in my dose before I left so that I would see one, do one. I and actually I ended up teaching one when I got home. That comes from the nursing, right? We'd see one, do one, teach one. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I took the class, we it was sort of a whirlwind. And I have questions about the person that brought the dose, but Every one of us in that class had the opportunity to get our speculum in there and load a straw and put it in. So I felt like, okay, that's the first part is just do it. And then that's what they tell you in the class is go home and do it. So I went home and did it. And I'm just going to tell you that I think it was a little bit like a Keystone Cop. If anybody, oops, it was a <laughs> Keystone Cop adventure. but. I'm not so afraid, and I I bought all my equipment when I was at the convention and had great conversations with the vendors. So I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more. But the vendors are another big part of convention.
0: Yeah, I was going to um, ask. There were several vendors with uh, AI equipment. Yep, um, and I yeah. that,
1: one of them was the one that collected my bucks here in Washington, and the other one was the one that really Biogenics that has. Most of the equipment and really is your go-to for most of the parts you're going to need to put together in your kit. So, anyway, AI, I'm just putting my toe in the water.
2: And And that
0: was, yeah, so that was a fee workshop. So, you do, for some of the workshops, you do pay a little bit extra um as far as the overall convention you can pay for the week and that includes your meals they can you can kind of piece it out if you're just going to be there for a few days and then again those fee workshops do uh, cost a little bit extra just because of the um the the setup the tent getting the goats there that sort of thing so one question i always get about is like you know how how did you work on live goats are they in in the hotel And so the answer is that that they set up a lot of tents outside, at least in my experience, the the conventions I've been to are just large tents outside, um, or they call it the activity tent, and that's where a lot of the activities go down with the live animals. So, okay, well, I guess um, Wendy was in that all day on Tuesday, and I took a few classes. I started off uh, Tuesday morning and took a Scrapey Eradication Program update. Um, by uh, Dr. Jill Duell from the USDA, it was very interesting because there's a lot of controversy, I guess, surrounding scrapie. Um, very interesting, uh, scary disease. Uh, my key takeaways on it were we are very, very close to being, um, I guess, receiving the validation that we are a scrapies free country or scrapie. It's not plural, scrapie free country. Um, so, A, takeaway one, it's not plural, it's scrapey. And uh, takeaway two was that it we are that close. And then the other thing with the with the scrapey was that um, they are looking into, um, again, of course, UC Davis has the scrapey resistance that you can do the genetic testing. So, that was just very interesting as well. So, I'm a big believer in abiding by the USDA scrapey requirements. Um, So that was that. Um, And I don't, just just another quick thing they have to, all these different locations, they have to um, go to like either auction or slaughter, or you can submit, um, they have to get so many cases and actually test them for scrapie. That's how we get to the eradication. So it's thousands and thousands and thousands. I mean, I could pull up the sheet. She had some graphs of how many they test to get to those, uh, to that status, to where we can be a scrapie-free country. And what that would do is open up a lot of opportunities for import and export um, for our small ruminants. Um, next class I took was another USDA, um, a young lady by the name of Jason Jones. She was from Oklahoma and she uh, talked about the USDA and grade A milk facilities. Uh, this was real interesting. I by no means have aspired to set up a grade A dairy. I just, you know, it was very interesting to just attend it. Um, my one big takeaway that I wrote down is that name brand Clorox bleach is the only approved sanitizer for grade a dairies uh so i sometimes just buy the target brand and so now i'm going to be more cognizant of getting the real clorox bleach uh, so for what it's worth all right um then that afternoon uh we i took a starting your lgd puppy your livestock guardian dog puppy with crystal spinrath who is uh, become a fast friend, had a few drinks at the bar a couple of times, but she raises akabosh and Congols out in West Texas. And so she was, uh, she also owns Crazy Goat Socks. So shout out to her and her um, product. But that was really good because I do have an LGD puppy right now. And as most of you know, if you have these dogs, when they hit that like teenage stage, they just kind of go a little crazy so it was good to um just get touched up on how to troubleshoot those problems let's see dinner was on our own on tuesday i'm trying to figure out when did we go wendy and i went to the philbrook museum i don't know if it was tuesday or wednesday i
1: think it was wednesday afternoon
0: okay well we yeah. can just chat was, about I it right i
1: had to go get a part from my CPAP machine <laughs> okay yeah,
0: that's right that's right <laughs> okay <laughs> Just so, on a side note. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Wednesday, uh, the ashes have not arrived yet. So, the party has not arrived in Tulsa yet. So, this is still, um, <laughs> you know, we're just trepping through here. Um, but we, both Wendy and I took um, the ultrasound class. And I just want to say that I was hell bent that I was going to buy me an ultrasound um, at convention because I just thought it was going to be so cool. Um, and actually took the class, both the beginner and the advanced class, learned a lot, but actually decided that it probably didn't make financial sense for my farm. Um, and Wendy, I know you have an ultrasound machine and are thinking about getting mm. another one. So uh, tell us a little bit about what you learned um, and if it changed anything you're doing uh, from so taking this the class. So
1: this was the second time I took a class. Same teacher, Catherine Stoll, who is absolutely phenomenal, um, who comes all the way to the U.S. from London, where she is a um, ruminant sonographer. I think that's what her title is. But anyway, the first time I took the class, I had had people come and do ultrasounds and it was just getting this machine that my, my dear friend Laura Workman many of you know her um, she's a mini mantra a breeder of many years it lives at my house she won it in a raffle so it's, it's a lower end machine and I am still I, here's what I can do I can put my ultrasound on the goat and I can say there's something there or there isn't like I can usually pretty pretty reliably say pregnant not pregnant. I'm no good at counting yet. I you know and I was hoping that I would learn. They actually had a contact machine at the you know in the class that we were able to use, which is the one of the other people brought it with, and I could still see that something was there, but I could not find how many. So maybe becoming an ultrasound person for money is not going to be my career. <laughs> um, but I love the relationship with Catherine Stoll. There is a Facebook page that I anybody that does ultrasound or has questions about it, it's called uh, Dairy Gold Ultrasound. Um, another friend of mine, Julie Jarvis, who lives a little bit away from me, is like uh She's an ace, really, honestly. She is expert. And she'll read, you know, if you take your videos or whatever, or just watch the ones that are there, there's excellent files on that Facebook page. So I just think I'm going to need to take this class several more times before I get good. And I went to convention convinced that I was going to buy one of these newer machines. (laughs) And I just decided I'm going to go home and get better at this one. Yeah,
0: definitely. The takeaway there is practice, 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 not three practices, like practice, practice, practice. practice, practice. I did make a note and I highlighted it here that because, you know, that's, you know, why, why do dairy goat breeders want to ultrasound? You know, we want to see if they're pregnant and uh, we want to know how many, right? We want to count the fetuses. And so a lot of uh, times I've heard people say, you know, count, count the bubbles, count the pockets of fluid, And that is not the case. You need to make sure you're counting the fetuses that you can see. Um, The other notes, if I ever get uh, an ultrasound, which I don't, not foreseeable future, but never plug or unplug into a live machine that's on and don't leave alcohol on the membrane of your, gosh, I forgot what they're called. What's it called? The the transducer. Yes. Yes.
1: Probe. They also call it probe.
0: Probe, yes, there it is. All right, let's see. So that was Wednesday. Um, one thing that I failed to talk about is something that's really cool is the hospitality suite. Um, so the eshes, y'all want to, y'all want to talk a little bit about the hospitality suite? The
3: the, uh, the hospitality suite. Um, so it's, it's one of the the nice parts about convention because you know it's at a hotel or various other uh, type of place and. They're not always located next to a place where you can just get snacks throughout the day um, and so they usually i mean they're they pretty consistently open you know from like 6 30 in the morning until about three in the afternoon and they had different groups that would run the hospitality room for the day um, various groups that mm-hmm. were, most of them were local to where the convention was, was
2: like 4-h clubs, like 4-H sort of the clubs or clubs. the goat
3: clubs breed clubs stuff like that um, and they um, typically would have some sort of um, kind of potlucky à la carte style lunch. I think they had like, chili dogs one day, and they had um, DIY nachos and a couple of other things. Um, and then they just that, yeah toast and coffee and stuff like that. And it's also just a nice place to go if you're in between classes or. You're not doing a class right now um i was late to a couple of sessions because <laughs> as i <before laughs> mentioned i like to talk um and i got up there and was just just chatting with people about goats because that's like you know we kind of hit home on this is you can literally talk about goats until you have no voice left and people will still want to talk about goats so um, it's just a nice place to go up grab a snack take a breather and then get back to it
0: yeah Yep. Save money was the big one there. Have your, have your free lunch. I uh, had my first Pop-Tart in I think 20 years. Um, so that was good. <laughs> had that for breakfast one morning. Okay. So Wednesday was when um, we did end, the classes ended at about three o'clock, I think. And then, so Wendy and I had a little time and I had been eyeing this old mansion. It was called the Philbrook Museum and uh, shout out. It was awesome. It's an old, um, I don't really know all the history, but it was an art museum, but we didn't really look at any of the art. We got there kind of late, but it was just the architecture of the old mansion, and they had all these really nice gardens and ponds and like waterfalls, and it was very fun and relaxing, and um, we saw a guy propose to his lady, and so we cheered and screamed, Um, but yeah, we just sat on a bench, and Wendy and I just kind of chatted um, again, uh, about goats. So Oops. that was fun. So when uh, Wendy had her, uh, Wendy Wednesday, Wendy went to get you guys, Toby and Nick at the airport. Um, yeah. So y'all obviously made it back safely uh, to the hotel Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so your first day started on Thursday oh, and gosh. Thursday morning, uh, I believe that um, this is just by far, I'm just going to say, I didn't attend this class. I attended it in Tucson, but this is the best class I think you can take if you're getting into dairy goats and it is the linear appraisal workshop. So I'll let uh, you three share a little bit about what you learned at the LA workshop.
3: Yeah, I will say, I'll, I will echo that. Um, we we were fortunate enough to um, meet a, a fairly well-known um, Nubian breeder, um, uh Nigerian too. Well she has yes, yes Nigerian as well sorry
0: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Nigerian breaker
3: She will yeah and if she hears this and listens to this and I didn't mention that she'll tell me about it yeah. Um, but it's uh, a Jean and Dawn up with uh, uh, urban acres up there and mm-hmm. well they are now up in, in Sievic, Washington. Um, but we met her um, I helped her and and Dawn show some of their group classes at the National Show, which was an incredible experience. And then we were fortunate enough to get invited to come and and watch, observe her her herd getting their LA done. Mm-hmm. Um and then coincidentally, um the uh um the LA workshop was taught by the same person that did her LA. Mm-hmm. Um and his name just whoop, right out of my head. Damn. I'm on the wrong page. It's yeah. Where's, where
1: is why am I gonna ask them? What was that? Well, in, in addition, she is also a linear appraiser. Yes, she is yes. An appraiser. Gina is also
2: Herself. an appraiser. Mm-hmm. Yes. So being able to attend her appraisal and kind of hear her comments and also the actual appraisal of her goats was really interesting. And that was kind of our first exposure to like, you know, we can see the scores and you can kind of like look up like, what does this mean? And you can kind of get an idea, but actually like seeing where the numbers come from was really helpful. And then attending the class, you then can like really kind of understand like what do all these different numbers mean and what do the letters mean and how do you get to those scores and kind of what really is the purpose of the program and kind of having an understanding of how to interpret those results. Like if you're looking up, uh, you know, a Nubian doe or a Nigerian buck to use in your mini program, really understanding how to interpret that is, you know, immensely helpful. It's not just who has the highest number. It's there's a lot of factors involved. So that was really, um, I thought, really, really valuable information to have. And then also just kind of how to evaluate your own goat against that ADGA scorecard and the appraisal traits and all those types of things. It really kind of gives you a new um I don't know, like you kind of look at your own goats differently after that. You come home. Sorry, our dog's going to yeah, it was, it was amazing. It was very, very valuable. And I would say for anybody that's going to convention for the first time, if you can try to attend that class, that is like the most eye-opening day, I think, that you'll spend.
0: Yeah, I, um. For sure, to me, I just really didn't have an understanding of linear appraisal. And when you kind of look at the, you know, the thing you think like more is better, but like it's kind of like, right, you know, as far as the scores and then what really brings linear appraisal together for AGDA is just the power of ADGA genetics um, and how they can use the data, which unfortunately we don't have that for our minis yet. But just like you said, Toby, if you're looking to infuse um, a standard breed into your mini program. Definitely looking at those traits, looking at your weaknesses and matching it to your strengths. Um, Wendy, I know this is um, the second or third time that you've taken linear appraisal. What was your takeaway this time? It's this was my second
1: linear appraisal, okay. and I'm just going to say it. My very first convention, I missed out because I did not take linear appraisal or judging. I've now taken linear appraisal twice, and this time. I'm going to say that uh, a lot of it is who teaches it. <clears throat> this instructor linear, and, and appraiser was very approachable. And I thought he managed the flow so that, it, so that people really, I got a lot more out of it this time. But who knows, it could be that sequential learning from building a base time the first time. But I will say that I got way closer in scoring I'm honestly not certain, you know they were related. The goats that that we actually looked at and then scored um, <clears throat> at least for mine, they all they were all like not only from the same herd, the same breed, and they all had some relationships. So you could see where maybe a buck had improved on a doe, but you could also see where some of the weaknesses were in those animals and they were consistent. For the three animals. But I, I will say that I walked away with a much deeper understanding. Um, It's it, it just, if you go to conventions, spend the money, go to one of these classes. Either linear appraisal or Toby and Nick will tell you more about judging. But um,
0: yeah, for yeah, the linear the appraisal. Is go ahead, y- When You go
1: home and you look at your herd very differently. Mm -hmm. just bar none happened the first time I took it this time you know I layered more things on top so yeah yeah you do
0: and I totally forgot what I was going to say I'm Um, sorry That's okay (laughs) no it was um yeah no the linear appraisal I mean it really makes you go and look at your own goats and really look at those characteristics that maybe you weren't really focusing on before maybe you were just I don't know I I just had this thought that many people are obsessed with like rumps, like level rumps. Um, If that's like all you can see, you know, you're not looking at like the rear other width or height or, you know, just all of the different traits that linear appraisal judges. Um, You can really bring that home and put that information to work in your herd. Um, Oh, I just popped in my head. Um, So there are different levels for it. And that is a fee workshop at convention. So the linear appraisal, um, there's like candidates. So that would be if you are actually trying to become a certified AGDA linear appraisal list. Is that a word? Appraiser? Um, Appraiser. And, yeah. And then you also, ha- they have um, observers. I, th- I don't know the right words yeah. and then auditors. I know I audit it. So I paid a little bit more and I actually got to be like shoulder to shoulder with the candidates in Tucson um, and really able to use the um the worksheet to actually score the animals, whereas the spectators, I think is what they call it. They just kind of had to like stand off at a distance and like observe. So I uh, really, you know, if you're not going to do the candidate, they have that second level where you can get there and get your hands on. I don't know if that's how they structured it this year, um, but definitely the more involved you can get, I highly recommend it. Yeah, they let
2: everybody, oh sorry, They I was going to say they let everybody get pretty hands-on this time. So like once we had gone through you do kind of education at the beginning of the day. And then the second half of the day you go outside and you actually start like looking at goats and practicing. And so then at the end, like they actually, and I was hesitant to do this cause I was like, I am not I don't really want to like, I don't really want to do this, but they actually like give you the clipboard with the form and you fill it out and you kind of discuss amongst yourselves, but you put down the numbers you think. And then the actual appraiser, they had several appraisers. So we had a, we were like broken into groups. And we got to hear kind of what they would put. And then at the end, we all looked at one animal and everybody put down their numbers and then we compared. And I mean, it was incredibly valuable. And as someone who's more of an observer, and I like, I want to understand before I actually jump in and do, like, it was actually really beneficial. And I would highly recommend like, actually just like jump in there and do it and talk to people and kind of, we were all actually pretty close. So like, Mm -hmm. it was, you know, it was really good and really valuable. And it gives you kind of the a little bit more confidence to go home and look at your goats and be like, okay, I'm looking at all of these different structures and like, how is this entire goat put together? And you know, so it was, yeah, definitely get in there and do it. And I don't think we paid a different amount. I think they charged the exact same amount this time for yeah, candidates. It was the camp. same amount. Yeah. So, which is probably why we all got to jump in and do it hands on. But definitely, like, if they tear it out again, I would say like go for, go for the one where you actually get to do it because it was, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was
0: super beneficial. Nick, anything to add on that?
3: Um, I would just say that I, another big thing that I took away from that was it was not only like being able to look at our goats. I guess from the the mini the miniature goat world, it's a it's a good thing to be able to look at our goats and understand how they're put together. And and the other thing that it really brought home to me is um, maybe like a bit of a lack of understanding from the dairy goat community as a whole on what those numbers actually mean and mm-hmm. and how it's been used um, for more of a marking purposes mm-hmm. as opposed to what it's actually meant to be and so getting an idea of what those scores actually mean and being able to be a knowledgeable breeder especially mm-hmm. on our on our side of things with the minis where we're trying to you know produce a better animal like getting in there and knowing what those numbers mean and what they're actually looking at as far as linear appraisal mm-hmm. appraisal goes in order to you know i don't know if it's this tagline or if i got it from somewhere else but the you know quote unquote build a better goat <laughs> yeah so um, yeah, it was just, it was very, very valuable.
0: So folks, uh, if you're going to a convention, that is a do not miss. So just to reiterate linear appraisal workshop. All right. So I did not go to the linear appraisal workshop cause I'd already done it in Tucson. So I'll just real quickly run down uh, what I went to. I, um, Thursday morning, I went to, uh, a presentation by Langston university, It was uh, D-H-I, the ins and outs. So in regards to milk testing, and it was um, Luana is the manager of the Langston milk test, which I know a lot of people use. Um, She just had her baby. And so it was, uh, she was not there, but they showed a lot of videos and really showed how the samples are processed and how the lab works. So that was really cool to see that behind the scenes. And then my other big takeaway, they... um, Not sure if any of you guys have done this, but Langston University puts on where they will uh, certify you as a qualified or a quality dairy goat producer or a meat goat producer. And all of those um, lessons and what you learn is in a manual. And so they printed too many of them. And so they were just giving them away. So I have my hands on a ton of a couple boxes full of dairy goat production manuals that we'll be uh, donating to the Texas Mini Milkers for our upcoming shows. Um, So uh, if you're out there and you're in Texas, come on out to our shows and uh, pick you up a manual. We'll have those available. Um, Really good information in that. Uh, Let's see. Then I went to a a FAMACHA training uh, on parasites with a professor uh, from Oklahoma State, Dr. Barry Whitworth. He presented, uh, I'm already FAMACHA Uh, officially certified so I didn't need to do the course to get my card I already have a card Um, but he just kind of went through some of the latest findings and the key takeaways I know this but I forget it but uh, when you're giving oral medications make sure you're going deep in the mouth and getting it behind the tongue to make sure it goes into the rumen So I sometimes am guilty of just kind of a, oh, good enough and squeeze, but really we need to take the time to make sure that gets back to the back of uh, the mouth. And then there are some really cool studies coming out about increased effectiveness um, for when you do reach for a chemical dewormer. So Takeaways here: just a few quick notes. Um, if you're off feed, when they're off, you want them to be off feed for twelve to twenty-four hours, and then give them the oral dewormer. Um, if you are facing some different, and of course, the whole Famacha training is right. We only want to be deworming these animals when absolutely necessary, so because we don't want to promote uh, resistance, which the worms are already very resistant to the what we've got. Um, but if you are using a white wormer to deworm those 12 hours apart, and then again, um, combining the two dewormers, and I've been doing this for a, wh- a while with the Synergistic approach, so two different classes. So my go-to is um, an ivermectin drench and a white wormer like Balbazin. Um, and then this was a Burke study. It is dated 2007. I guess I'm just not up on this, but hey, you learn something new every day. But you can get much increased efficacy if you are with your dewormers, if you do your copper oxide wire particles at the same time. So um, that was kind of my takeaways. Um, he presented some really interesting data on pine needles. And um, here in Texas, we have a ton of the ash juniper um, about we all know about lespedeza, these different high tannin uh Uh, forages that are, um, can help uh, with, uh, with the worm load. So let's see, kind of looking at my notes here. Yeah. So that was pretty cool on parasites. And then the last class I took of the day, I took a ton of notes. um, So I'm not sure if our viewing, our viewing, no one's viewing, thank God, um, listening audience is um, aware but I am also the MDGA live show chair and so one of my um, as a volunteer and so one of my missions for uh, MDGA is to really help put on more shows around the country and so I attended hosting a successful show it was uh, put on uh, by my friend Brenda Lightner she's uh, with phase five and so she just went through so I made a ton of notes here and so one of my goals here in the next hopefully month, is to host a uh, webinar for anybody that is wanting to get into putting on the show in their area. We're going to have a two-part webinar series where we'll talk about how to do it, like the steps, and then we'll have session two will be a best practices. And we'll try to get a lot of show chairs and folks on that have put on shows over the years to share what works really well and what they uh, bombed at. So things not to do. Okay. Oh my God. Do y'all know what we missed? Oh no, we didn't. Okay. Sorry. I'm just getting all excited because (laughs) Thursday night was the funnest night that we had at convention. It was the cheese and wine event and the art auction. And it was such a good time. So of course we had our table where all of our, all the many people, and we actually met some really lovely, um, uh, other uh, friends that we continue to set with at the at the other dinners um but let's uh if anybody wants to jump in and share what went down at the cheese and wine <laughs>
3: what what went down is we were the rowdy table and there wasn't anyone <laughs> provided alcohol so that says something
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think was <laughs> the non provided alcohol, I think, was an onion. Like, typically, I think they do provide that. So, yeah. for those of you considering going in the future, don't hold that against us. Yes. Okay. Yeah, it is a cash <laughs> bar.
0: So, <laughs> it was a cash okay. bar. Well, we don't know what it'll be in Lake Geneva. Um, yeah, so you guys is, were very. Um, I you can eat cheese. Yes. You can eat, go in, cheese.
2: Oh, yes.
0: So all the the they have contests. So they have contests for the cheese products and the edible products, and then they also have contests for soaps and lotions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that uh, was some of what was being auctioned off later in the evening. Well,
3: was I don't want us to get in trouble or get down in trouble. They couldn't auction off any of the edible products. Because oh yeah, they yes, yes, it in a licensed facility.
0: Yes. Uh, so yeah. it was the uh, art and the soap products that and lotion. All of the cheese that, were-
3: that we ingested was donated by commercial. Full goat dairies and it was all right. extremely delicious
0: uh, and <laughs> y'all uh so i didn't really notice that toby did this but i know that nick and wendy like remembered everything on their plate
1: oh. i did I not order. <laughs> yes, I'm
2: I'm like,
0: like, order. i don't know it's cheese and it's i good, just started but... <laughs> wolfing it down and they're like oh my god this whatever like hazelnut blah 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 is so delicious and i'm like well how do you know what's what i just threw it on my plate <laughs>
3: there's a lot of strategy involved in cheese placement <laughs> to remember you got to go clockwise and put the chefs together there's a whole thing that could be a whole other podcast so
1: if you're like you know to- your plate in the order that you get it on the tables you want to have it oriented appropriately <laughs> i just have to say that the event the the cheese event at my very, very first convention was so fabulous that I just said I have to keep coming back to convention. And I had, for that alone, it's worth it.
0: Yeah, I
1: mean it is the gamut from from uh, soft cheeses. What do you call them? The um, ripened. What's it called? They had,
3: they had pretty much anything from chef to farmhouse. They had um, a couple different yogurt types. They had um, like aged age hard cheeses. They had um, the like slightly soft but like like breeze and stuff like that. Um, oh, they somebody had-
0: brought
2: ice cream.
3: There were there was goat milk ice cream bars that were delicious. Yeah,
0: and- oh, yeah. shout out to All We Need Farm, my friend Stacy yes. Roussel in Needville, Texas. Goat milk pops. That's one of it, those things that you're mad at.
3: you you have one that you didn't think <laughs> of because she's got that market. Just, and-
0: also in
1: Austin, the winner of the amateur goat cheese competition was a miniature Nubian dairy in Texas, and yep. I don't remember her name. But that was a surprise winner. It was fabulous. I
0: think, I uh, think they had
1: well, an amateur. They didn't have amateur.
0: Yeah, I, they did have some amateur. I uh, The guy won. And then um, my friend Kelly Parker, Rusty Star Ranch, um, I think she submitted some cheeses. And I heard her name called a few times. And so she's got a herd of Nubians and many Nubians. So, um, okay. So we ate a bunch of cheese. We drank some wine that we had to pay for. Um, <laughs> and then the auction started. So what they started with, it was, uh, there's also a art contest. And so they auction off that and then they auctioned mm-hmm. off the soap and lotion thing. So this is yeah. when we got really rowdy. Um, well,
2: <laughs>
3: we, we felt like we had to kind of pick it up a little bit because I don't know if, if you know, if those of you that have been in the goat community for a while may know the name Dan Laney. Um, he's a, a longtime judge and pretty prominent ad figure and um, quite the character. So I've learned, but he was the quote unquote auctioneer. Um, and we also had some technical difficulties with the, uh, the convention center where we didn't have a microphone for the majority of this. So he was doing his best, um, and really, really trying to get these, these donations to roll in during the auction. And, um, our table just kind of jumped in on it. And then we were, we were bidding quite a bit. And there was one point where, um, he was he was calling out numbers and we thought something was only at well, forty five or fifty dollars, and so we were like, heck yeah, i will bid on it. And then they were like, ah oh, okay, one fifty to them. We're like, ooh, that was a little more than I want to pay for. That yeah, that was me. They time. the. <laughs> the-
0: the, the young lady was walking by with the art piece. I'm like, oh, 40 bucks. That's nice. I'll get it on that 40 bucks. And then I think, Toby, I think you're like, oh, no, I want 50. And then mm-hmm. Nicole said, oh, yeah, 60. And then it was like, wait, 160? What?
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we all put our hands down pretty Go fast.
3: <laughs> but we also it, it, were the table. I say we were the rowdy table because um, we caused poor um, Dan to have a little bit of a temper tantrum and jump off the back of the stage. <laughs> so it was, it was all around a good time
2: um very fun
0: yeah our um uh, a friend at our table nicole she had a basket that had a bunch of wonderful soaps in it and so i won that um let's see what did you guys y'all got one one of the ribbon balls
2: yeah we yeah, got we, one of the
0: ribbon ornament ball ornament,
2: things, yeah which we didn't get to go to the class to learn how to do but i think we may try to like de- figure it out it so we can figure.
3: we, we purchased <laughs> that one cool. as a recent project yeah very
2: <laughs> cool and, and then,
0: then we, we also be, got
3: a basket of uh, soap and 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 products like that. But the they were kind of cool. They were uh, it was modeled as a fruit basket for the theme, and so it was felted soaps. And you know, there was one that you know, they looked kind of like grapes. There was one that was shaped like an apple. And it was all felted goat soaps, which was kind of cool. Yeah, super
0: yeah. cute. And all that money goes back into Agda to support their scholarship and different uh, programs. So that's always a worthy cause. All right, so we stumbled back to our rooms Thursday night. And um, Friday morning was quickly upon us. I feel like I'm telling a story here. Okay. (laughs) So um, Friday, uh, Toby and myself, we took the pre-judges training conference, um, which I thought started at nine, uh, but actually started at eight. So I have to say I was a little late uh, because they had it wrong in the book. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't think I missed a whole lot because I really got in there. um, The room was packed. And of course, there were like a couple empty seats, like right up front. And so I just made my way up there. Um, Toby, you were already there. Um, really great class. I mean, again, mm-hmm. I think we keep saying this over. The more times you see stuff, the more times you see stuff, it keeps sinking in, sinking in. What were your takeaways from the judges conference, or kind of, or the pre jud the pre-TC? Yeah. As well? Well, and I think the pre
2: judging or the training conference thing kind of led into. So I did do the judges training for the the subsequent two days, um, and that was kind of like putting the stuff we learned on uh, Friday into into action. So I think gathering most of the information Friday. Um, I think my biggest takeaway was just getting a better understanding of like the scorecard and really kind of what those different like big areas are and how the point value works. I mean, even for those of us who don't show, which like we like to show, so that was valuable in and of itself, but also, you know, for people who participate in like the V show, the virtual show, um, you know, understanding when the judges put their comments on your goats, like what does that really mean? And like, what are they referencing? And what do those phrases mean and understanding Um, You know, when you go to a show, and I think most of the judges for virtual show are licensed ADGA judges. So they kind of follow this formula too. But there's like a specific formula you use when you give reasons for your placings in a class. And so like, why do they say one thing first? And what are they referencing when they say, you know, this goat's going over this goat for her advantage in dairy strength? And you know, like, what are they referencing there? So kind of understanding how that works is really helpful for Showing, but also for them putting that feedback into action when you get home and you're looking at your herd and kind of making plans for your own breeding program or you know looking at your goats like that. I think that was that was very valuable, kind of like linear appraisal, but more of understanding the comparison of goat to goat as opposed to your goat to the um, the appraisal standards.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to mention. They seem to reiterate that multiple times. Like, what are the? I mean, like, so linear appraisal is comparing that goat you're looking at to the the standard, right? But when it's in a show, it's comparing, you know, those goats that are in the ring, you know, so it's not, you know, oh, I don't, you know, this goat doesn't meet the standard. Well, that could be the best goat in the ring, you know, depending on the rest. So yeah, that was um, really good. As far as um, there were, I thought that the activities were really good. I sat with Crystal from Arizona and we, they give you a colored sheet um, of multiple, uh, let's see, it's Um, four different goats and you basically go through she'll teach uh, the uh, teacher taught you know like hey we're gonna look at this trait let's look at feet and legs and then we would go and we would uh, look at those animals and basically you know rank them uh, based on that trait that we were looking at and then at the end you kind of put all that together so that's you know basically what the judges are doing Um, when those goats are in the ring and when and when they're judging them it's amazing to me Um, so we had classroom and then we went outside and actually got our hands on some goats and the activity tent and we did have a chance and um, Toby earlier you mentioned that you like to sit back and learn and you don't like to jump in but I was very impressed because we were standing right there and you were just like okay I'm gonna try this and you just (laughs) jumped in And you were like giving your reasons. And I'm like, dang, girl, that was pretty good. And I'm just like, no, no, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Um, But but really studying the scorecard and getting the lingo is my problem. Like I could get up there and I'd be, I could grunt and I could put them in order because I know, but it's really, that's, I think the hard thing for the judges is to really verbalize that and have it um, come to life there in the ring when they're given those placements. Um, and Nick, you got to come out and hold some of the goats while we were doing that hands-on. Um,
3: yeah, yeah, I did that afternoon. Um, and then also the, the next, over the next couple of days, I helped out with a lot of that. And it was, uh, um, you know, I'd obviously think at the classroom and the, like, breakdown of the, the formula for reasons and stuff like that, but just getting out there and seeing, you know, getting to see either these, these advanced judges or these new apprentice judge candidates and stuff. How they, how they look at it, how their reasons are evolving from over the day to day and how the, you know, the, the panelists that are, that are teaching slash critiquing them are giving their reasons back. Um, and it's just a very, it was a very rewarding experience as well. Kind of like, you know, kind of like you guys had already talked about it with between the LA and this. Um, it was, it was really good.
0: So Toby, you continued on with the actual judges training. Mm-hmm. Um, so that it's called pre-TC is like the, the, you know, the, the pre judges training and then the judges training was actually two days, wasn't it? Saturday it and was, Sunday. Yeah. So shed some light on that. What went down at that?
2: Yeah. So it was really, um, so I participated as a spectator. So I wasn't actually going for my license this time. I figured, you know, I should probably like learn the stuff before I try to do that. So, um, so on the the next day, we did some more informational stuff like classroom learning, and then they also did the, there's a written test for the candidates, so that's a test on all the stuff that we learned in the pre-conference, as well as, you know, the candidates have to know kind of the the guide, the ADGA guidebook in and out, so you need to know like disqualifications and Um, you know, just like breed standards for every breed and just all kinds of things. So they had to have a lot of, so that was like a big part of the first day. Um, and then talking about like judging etiquette was also really interesting and kind of, I would say useful for those of us who put on shows, even if we don't intend to ever become a judge, just kind of understanding those standards that the judges are expected to meet so that we can try to help them with that. I thought was really useful. Um, And then just kind of working with the candidates too, it was interesting because the ADGA judges have to, so they have like a tiered system for their licensing. So the first year a judge is licensed, they're an apprentice, and then they have to pass the test and be licensed again. And then they can get a two-year license and then they can move up to a four-year and then you have to do that for a while and then you can become an advanced judge. So you're in this class with people who are going for their license for the first time, and also existing judges. So it was really interesting to get to kind of chat and hear from, you know, judges that we have either watched judge shows or who have judged us at shows and kind of get to talk to them and see their process and how everyone works through that. But it's it's really focused on, you know, being able to give those reasons and really understanding the scorecard and the major areas and how, you know, how you do that. And then doing it confidently and smoothly and there's like a specific order you should do it. And so it's not just judging it correctly, but it's also the reasons, which I think was the the big hangout for most of the people that were that were struggling. Because it's it is it's very nerve-wracking. You're doing this in front of a panel of advanced judges who've been doing this for a long time and they all meet ahead of time and set the lineups and the reasons and so it was interesting because as a spectator i got to see kind of the behind the scenes and so i think like nick mentioned you hear what the candidates are saying but then you also get to hear what the panel expects them to say and the feedback they give and you get you get a lot of interesting insight but it was really valuable i thought it was it was useful information
0: for sure great thanks for sharing on that so let's see. So that was um so Toby was tied up with that all weekend. Yeah. Um, was Nick, <laughs> that was the rest of my time? Um Nick, you took some classes on Friday, um great from grazing to browsing and a, another a dairy goat nutrition class. You want to sh- shed some light on those?
3: Um yeah. So uh, Friday morning, um I did there was a couple of different classes kind of in succession um from a a, a combination of uh professors from Mississippi State. Um, The first two were by Dr. Rocky Lemus. Um, He's um, a researcher there at Mississippi State. Um, And so he's got a lot of experience um, rehabilitating pastures and how to set up your forage needs specifically for uh, a goat operation. Um, Granted, you know, in the south where they're at, there's a lot more meat goat industry than there is dairy goat industry, but they do have a lot of um farmers and farms you know that that are requesting more information from them about dairy goat stuff um so the first one was that uh forage needs and grazing management you just kind of went over a lot of the different types of forage and which ones are kind of good to pair together and um and like crop rotations and stuff like that Um, a lot of really good information um touched on some of the ones that we all know um and then debunked some myths on some of those other ones um and uh so that was really good and then he went into the next class from him uh following that one was uh it was called from grazing to browsing a Pasture approach which i i kind of knew what pasture was but then it it's i don't know what different. that is what is uh, it yeah so it's a lot different down there in the south so uh, yeah wendy was in this one with me as well um but it, it's a it's a having a combined uh tree and pasture kind of okay. approach so in the south they do a lot of um planned silvopasture silviculture approaches where they plant trees at a specific spacing in a specific row set um if anyone's ever been down you know florida and stuff you'll see all these pine forests that are you know you look down them, it's perfect straight rows and they do them for harvest because they grow fast and stuff but he's implemented a lot of that um on his on his farms with his goats he's got um nubians and then some other meat goats but um taking going both directions taking pasture to silvo pasture, and taking established woodland and turning it thinning it selectively Mm -hmm. letting the brush get grazed down by the goats initially and going through there so it was a very a very um interesting and very um inform informational series of classes there you have anything um, to add on that there wendy
1: yeah so the other thing that he did was he brought um like one gallon pots, I think, of all of the forages that he had talked about and he just left them outside the vendor area. And I, I'm honestly he also he left his business cards out there. Um, he is he is with Mississippi State Extension mm-hmm. and he is willing if you reach out to him to help you find the seeds for different pasture mixes. So I am I mean of many of the things I learned at this convention, I'm going to start working on some of my smaller, you know, I have, my pastures are divided into probably quarter acre or to half acre. So I'll have to start with one at a time because we got too many goats here. But I will, um, I'm gonna talk to him about getting some of the um, seeds. One of the things I learned, I didn't believe it. We'll see whether it's true. Is that we can actually grow the type of the Lespedeza in the Pacific Northwest, where we do have a um, acidic soil. So I'm going to take a little section and see whether it's really true, and not invest in a lot of seed at this point. But I'm, um, you know, if I can grow one of these high tannin Um, forages in a pasture mix, then that's going to make me very excited, to be quite honest. So I was like, pretty excited about that class. Yeah. Yeah.
3: And then following his class, um, one of his colleagues there at Mississippi State, through the extension as well, um, was Dr. Layla Rigos. Um, And so her class, it was um, myths and facts of deworming and the role of tannins in commercially available products. And so I feel like the title of the class wasn't exact, but, um, a lot of her, um, like doctorate research and stuff she did was looking at, um, like, like the use of tannins and how they, um, and other components of these forages that actually have those natural, um, deworming properties and, and resistance builders. Um, and they're actually doing some work, um, trying to isolate those. Um, different components out and being able to pull them and have them as a, you know, maybe a commercially viable additive or supplement that's not necessarily having to have, you know, those forages available, which obviously is your first choice because, I mean, you are not buying extra stuff, but, um, you know, kind of getting those components out and figuring out what actually is doing the work and maybe being able to have those um, available. Obviously it's a, a long process, but um
0: did she mention if, because uh, I know a lot of people got hot on the lespedeza pellets several years ago, and then I don't, I have not seen data on this, so I'm just, uh, this is hearsay, but through that commercialization and when they're pelletizing that, doesn't it lose the tannins?
3: So she talked, because we asked about, you know, fresh forage versus hay, because um, I've been lucky enough to find some uh, San Juan hay that we can get, um, which is another one of those that has those higher tannins and has that natural warming. Um, kind of property to it, and she was very excited. That someone else was talking about the sample one because she used it in some of her research. Um, but um, oh. it was it was one of those things where you do lose some of it through the drying process. But it's all also dependent upon how that um, producer goes oh. through the process. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, just like with anything, if you're you know going to a pelletized form, a lot of times that's going to be the stuff that you're not going to be able to sell as readily in its whole form. Mm-hmm. And so you get some of the other stuff, you know, you, your, your quality is kind of going to go down a little bit, but each step of processing does lower it a little bit,
0: mm-hmm. but she
3: didn't go specifically into, into it, that.
0: So. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, that's the, the value of convention, right? As you kind of go and you might learn something like, uh, oh, and then it kind of takes you down a rabbit hole to, um, do <laughs> some more research and figure out what works best for your herd.
1: go holes. We're going
0: like, have a lot of
2: go holes. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, anything else on Friday that y'all want to share before we uh, got rowdy again at the awards banquet?
3: I'd say we also that after uh, I guess that the later the last one that that morning I did was uh, it was uh, another one by Dr. Rios. It was dairy goat nutrition through their early stages, um, and it had some good information in there. But you know, just like with any sort of thing, uh, I think this is one of the ones that you go to convention and the the topic was kind of geared at the wrong audience a little bit there was still really good information in there um but me being the nerd that i am wanted to go a lot more in depth than i think that the general audience was wanting to go so um, but i think once again making those contacts is one of those things that i pulled away from it so um like wendy mentioned with um uh dr Lemus and also um, with dr rios they both are very open especially to their extension programs um they've got some webinars coming up um that sounded very interesting and um, they're doing a lot of work with their extension services down there, which is really good.
0: Cool. And Wendy, you wanted to mention the feeding calculator. Um, yeah. So
1: I think that might've been the next day, but I'm just oh, going to okay. go ahead
0: and say it. Okay. Sorry. So
1: one of the, I went to the total TDN, which is total dietary needs, I think. Oh yeah. Garagos. I see it. Yep. It always made my eyes cross and my brain hurt. Um, but, I think that I am a convert to learning more about what I'm putting in my goats. And the, um, the main takeaway was that Langston University, if you Google um, dairy goat nutrition, Langston University, you will get to their interactive calculator. So number one, you got to have your hay tested and know what's in your hay. And number two, one of the things they did say is that anything that's in a bag, like palleted or whatever, it, it, it's, it's sort of a, there's a plus or minus, um, I don't remember what the percentage is, but I want to say 2%. So if you've got a deer goat grain that says it's 16%, it could be plus or minus. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with your alfalfa pellets or the, the product I feed that's like chaff egg you know, it, it's, it's a target, right? And so you're close. But you can still plug that into this calculator and you can really, especially with your goats that are um, being milked. And if you feed a concentrate, which actually is recommended for dairy goats um, when they're productive, so if they're raising kids or if they're milking, um, you can plug in the different things that you're feeding And it will tell you whether you're in the ballpark or not. And so I have promised myself that I'm actually going to do that. So anyway, Princeton University, the the TDN calculator, that was my best takeaway from that class.
0: Cool. Well, we'll, uh, I'll I'll find that link for our listeners and share that in the show notes so everyone can access that. Okay, so we kind of we jumped to that because we were talking about dietary needs, but we did miss Friday night was the awards banquet. and I don't even remember what happened. I think I was um, a couple adult beverages in, but I know we had a good time. <laughs> so if someone else wants to share, uh, I think we all had a good time. Um, but that was really an opportunity it was a good uh, plated dinner, um, good dessert. I think Nick had three or four desserts. I have-
3: I don't remember how many pieces of the cake. It was less than
0: ten. So. A lot of cake. <laughs> oh, it was delicious. Uh, but they presented some different awards and um, things uh, for the AGDA organization. So that was fun. Uh, any, any, any other comments on on dinner, the banquets? That
3: was another one of those socializing
1: where... event, right? So mm-hmm. it, yeah, it's a social event, and it's another place to. Build relationships because Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of this is relationships learning from each other. Um, yeah, so that's a lot of what it was.
0: I know I was early, I went to bed early that night, but was there some karaoke and dancing? (laughs) Oh, yeah there was
3: there, okay. there was some karaoke and dancing we'll have to get so, some um,
0: videos and pictures and uh, we'll share that in the show notes as well
3: <laughs> i'm not i don't know this video evidence of no. this
2: Karaoke was primarily the youth uh, <laughs> right. But right. towards the end there was a bit of line dancing and then i think that there were a few more participants at that point yeah. but yeah, I think the big takeaway from that was, you know, networking and and relationship building with some of those ad group readers. So, yeah, that
3: was another one of those evenings where I thought that uh, Wendy and Toby were going to um, break my kneecaps and drag me back to the Airbnb <laughs> because I was have talked all night. <laughs> all night.
0: <laughs> um, OK, so those were the festivities Friday night. So now we've got um, the weekend. So we know that Toby was in the judges training, um, but here's where things get a little um Extra goatee fun uh, at convention because there is uh, the regular programming Saturday and Sunday, and then there also is the AASRP. And if those of you that don't know what that stands for, is the oh my gosh, I just looked it up. It's the American Association of Small Ruminant Practitioners. Did I get it right? Yep,
2: yep. like yes. there's got to be an America yes. in
0: there somewhere. Um, <laughs> <Don't start>. so, <laughs> so, this, if you have not been to the ASASRP website. Um, They have a lot of information, but this is a veterinary continuing education conference that is, vets are a member of this organization. And so they can come on Saturday and Sunday and get actually uh, continuing education hours to maintain their veterinary license. Uh, But these courses are open to everyone. So you can, if there's something that interests you, you can uh, take it. Now, I uh, peeled out about four in the morning on Saturday um, headed back uh, for Texas, so I did not get to partake of all of these, so we'll just kind of turn it over to, let's see, I think on Saturday, for the general programming, Wendy went to a Hoof Boss uh, course. I'm and sure. they
1: did too, we went to the Hoof Boss course. Okay, class cool. And I bought one. I don't know why, my farm helper has one, I just had to have my own, because I was convinced that this would be a tool that would help me because I have a total shoulder and I'm old and it is a tool that helps take some actual manual labor and make it much easier. I, With a grain of salt, however, and it was you know, I I followed that up the following day and we'll talk about that later, but I went to a um, corrective hoof trimming and she was not a fan so so there you go um anyway
0: okay well let's talk about it now so the corrective of trimming the corrective hoof oh, okay trimming. i see so there. here's
1: another plug yeah. um she is I, I don't everybody should belong to what's it called
0: goat american goat society
1: no yes it's it's oh no 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 page. um Facebook page. Nick, help me. You were just on it. Um,
3: It's the, uh, is it Goat Hoof Maintenance 101 or something Goat Hoof
1: Maintenance, yes. And it's fabulous. And she is the woman who taught this class used to do a nationwide hoof trimming business. Now she just does three states nearby because she's got small kids. But, you know, you're looking and she's got this poster that was hand drawn and I'm thinking, oh dear. She had a poster that showed where you're going And what you want to do I'm like okay And then she pulls out her little hoof um, She had created Hooves that needed to be corrected And normal hooves With play-doh With different colors So she had built these hooves With the deformities and what, And she had her trimmers She has her favorite trimmers I'll go ahead and say I agree with her. The ARS Red Handle smooths are her favorite trippers. And I think that's true. She uses silver line for um, little, for kids. But anyway, so she's clipping off this um, Play-Doh, showing us how she trims the hooves. And, you know, one of them that she wanted to correct was a common Nubian hoof that kind of grows tall and begins to roll. I've lived with it. It's mm-hmm. in the Mini Nubians as well. So she showed that she's on this um, Facebook group and I've asked her to do a YouTube video on uh, with her, just build, rebuild those Play-Doh things and video them because she had no slides. So you had to like, it was, you had to be intimate and watch. And I was like, wow, okay, I think I remember what she said. <laughs> But in some of the other classes, I would take pictures of the slide so that I could remember. And in this one, but, you know, I have her contact information. So
0: how many? So one of the things uh, we didn't really set the expectation. So how many people were in that class?
1: I want to say maybe 15, not very many. It was one of the smaller classes I went to. And it was actually, you know, once she got started trimming those hooves I was like this is one of the best classes.
0: Yeah good hands-on. Yeah that's one of the things I mean it's just to set the expectation for folks that do want to attend convention. I mean it's not huge classes. I mean I think my, the biggest class might have been the pre-t- pre-tc. Mm-hmm. That probably had 80 people in it but some bad. of the other classes like one of my classes had three. Some of them had 20. Um, yeah so all different size classes. Okay, so Wendy talked all about hooves. Was there any more hoof stuff? We can talk about that. Hey, go
1: ahead, Nick. You got hoof boss info. You bought one too.
0: Oh, yeah, we <laughs> did
3: purchase one. I've been looking up a long time. I actually, um, speaking of, you know, jumping back a little bit to the, the vendor area, um, is, it's, I don't know, it's Alan DeWolf, who's the hoof boss guy, um, was down there in the booth, and I talked to him for longer than i think either of us wanted to <laughs> um but uh, you know we kind of went over the whole thing and, he, and and so it was it was i was on the fence about him um because i i see a, a use for it as a tool in your toolbox i don't think it's what i'm going to use exclusively um but i think there's some situations especially you know on our farm we have not just goats we also have some miniature horses and a pig that can just be done and, and all this kind of stuff so it's going to be a, a versatile tool for me um to use so we we you know they they offered us a pretty good discount yeah. um on it so yeah getting in there and talking with those vendors is is one of the other benefits you know it's mm-hmm. part of the reason i wanted to not do only these pay for classes where you're busy all weekend because i wanted to have time to network and talk with people and 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 get those um i guess not on the schedule learning opportunities Yeah,
0: um, yeah. there were uh let's see caprine supply was there they come with a ton of stuff um there are some soap vendors there was um uh, the gal that was back in the corner. She had, I mean, gosh, if you were looking for anything goat really, I mean, God, what'd she have? Mm-hmm. Signs, knickknack. Oh, I mean, God. it was a ton of stuff. Um there hey, were just hold on,
1: I gotta go grab some you keep talking. I gotta grab okay. something to tell you about one of the vendors.
0: Okay, great. <laughs> okay. So we'll keep Wendy's heading off to get that. Um, okay, so one of the things, um, that you guys spoke really highly of was the Breeders' Roundtable on Saturday.
3: Yeah. So, um, Saturday um, was the Breeders' Roundtable, and so it, it was a couple of uh, um, ADGA breeders. Um, one has done uh, been pretty heavily focused on her Nigerian herd, and then there was another one <laughs> who's done a little bit of everything. Um, but it was it was exactly what it sounds like. It was a Breeders' Roundtable. They were up there and it was a QA and a period. Um, I think there were probably, I don't know, 20 to 30 people in there. Um, maybe, maybe more than that, actually. Um, but they just opened it up. They kind of did an introduction of themselves and then opened it up for questions. And we were in there for an hour and a half and there wasn't a lull in the conversation. Um, we went over everything from, you know, uh, how to start out and, and make sure you have a focus in your herd, um, to, um, the harsh ideas of, of being a dairy goat breeder and, and the calls that you have to do. And um, I really, that really resonated with me, especially in our, in, in the miniature world where um, uh, it was Ellen Dorsey was the one that had um, the Nigerians and she's been to Nigerians for a long time. And so she's been through the struggles of the pet market, kind of some of the stuff that we deal with where it you have to decide what kind of breeder you're going to be mm-hmm. and and stick to your guns and, make those hard decisions where you know like i said we we went from three goats when we started to know, around 30 ish now <laughs> and 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 so it's
0: it's those, I like the how you mumbled that yeah you
3: have to make as a breeder you know you go from breeding you know three goats your first year to this year we're going to be breeding 15 or something yeah, maybe more than that this yeah, year not more. Um, yes. and so, so it's you know, we're going to have kids coming out our ears and we can't keep them all and we know as responsible breeders we cannot sell them all because they're not all goats that
2: um Well, we won't sell them all, well, as not,
3: not all the breeders. And then and then you have to look at your market in the area if you've got a pet market. Um but also just knowing, you know, when to start, you know, as a as a new breeder, when to start breeding your own animals, um as opposed you know, start in you know, breeding back into your own herds and, and stop quote unquote promoting other breeds. Not that we don't love you, Wendy, because a lot of our foundation stock is new, but <laughs> you know, being able to to get to that point where you're building a reputation, you're building a type and knowing what your goal is and sticking to it and not not going with the trends and not going with the fads um, and and just really getting into that. And it was just nice to, um, one, hear from people that have been doing it a lot, lot longer and have a lot of experience with it. And two, um, not getting my head ripped off when I mentioned that I had many Nubians and they kind of, you know, went, went through the whole process and, 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 um, it was just a really good, a really, really good conversation,
1: more than anything.
2: Yeah, I think I will
1: say that I walked out of that session and I changed what I'm going to do at home because Alan Dorsey, who is probably one of the top Nigerian breeders in the country, she breeds, she doesn't hold over for dry earlings. She breeds them all, the kid, after a year, at least 12 months, usually 13, 14 months. So that she can make that hard decision, you know, sooner. You know, if, if you cut your losses. So I was going to hold two over. And part of that in my head was, oh, I'd like to have a dry yearling to show. Right? In a, in a dry yearling class. But I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to downsize my herd. And if I want to make decisions, do I want to feed that goat for two years before I know Whether that goat is going to is going to contribute to my breeding program or detract from it, I just I said I'm coming home and I'm breeding them, breeding them all. I only have three that'll be yearlings, but I'm going to breed them.
0: Yeah, that's just just...
1: you know I've done it I've done it before, but never all of them. And now it just resonated. She was not alone in that group of breeders.
0: Well, and that's I mean you think about it. And like for me, it's hard because you know to really prove out your bucks. I mean, you've got to see the daughters freshen, and you've got to see yeah. multiple. Yeah. And you know, if you're not, you know, it's just delaying your decisions. Like if this buck's okay. throwing, you know, not putting, not doing what it he w- needs to be doing for you, then you don't need to be putting them on your does. Mm-hmm. Um, but another- but yeah. I do agree the struggle like my. I wish I could have been there because I might have left, but I do usually hold mine over just because I am a performance herd and I show because mm-hmm. I can get them a dry leg. Mm-hmm. So and that was,
3: you know, the nice part about having um, Ellen and then her name was Laura. And I can't remember her last name, um, but uh, she does, you know, um, has had different standard breeds. She's French Alpines right now and her daughter has sonnins, but um, she not necessarily agreed it wholeheartedly with Ellen's not holding yearlings over. And that was kind of a nice part to know that there's two very successful, mm-hmm. very long time breeders that have different opinions and there's, you know, more than one way, way to do it. Um, she agrees that you don't want to hold a bunch of them over for the same reasons Wendy talked about, you know, feeding them and all that kind of stuff. But also depending on when you, when they kitted or, mm-hmm. or their size, things like that, um you know it's it all kind of goes into there into play um and then like you talked about with with proving out your bucks it's it's harder but I think one of the biggest takeaways for me not only from the breeders round table it was nice to hear it from that side of it too but but through the LA program and all of it was that um <laughs> the buck I mean I love bucks don't get me wrong but, but you have to breed damn lines because um, that's where all of your production and all of your stuff kind of comes through. The the, the buck's going to transmit, but you have to not necessarily look at how pretty the buck himself looks, but look at how pretty his mom and his grandma and all that stuff look. Because, like, they made a point to say, some of the prettiest does have come out of some ugly bucks. <laughs> so um, it's it's about the genetics that are in there and can get tra- you know passed down as opposed to necessarily how pretty he is on his day, you know.
0: All right, cool. That sounds like that was a really good roundtable to be a part of. Um, yep. Let's see. I think, Nick, did you go to solving common kidding problems? Any takeaways from that?
3: Um, that one, uh, I feel like the contact I made with um, uh, Dr. Dawson, uh, it was uh, Dr. Lionel Dawson, another from Langston University. Um, but he's, it was another one of those. I think I I was trying to nerd out a lot more than we needed to. Um, but Um, it was kind of a a general overview of a lot of the things that you, um, you know, kind of know through experience, uh, good things to get, I think my biggest takeaway from that was, um, we've all been there when we don't know if it's a front leg or a back leg. Um, and you're, you know, flying blind as it were all by feel. Um, he said that both front legs and back legs have a large joint. So find the elbow or the hawk go down from there. If you have one joint, it's a, uh, and then it just went out of my head a front leg and if it's got two joints at the back leg Mm -hmm. right yeah and I was like duh (laughs) you know it's one of those moments where you're like I've been in there with a goat leg in my hand going I don't know if it's a front leg or a back leg and you're all panicked and everything and just follow it down and figure out what it like you know what it looks like feel it um so that you know that was kind of one of the big things and I'm just it was it was a really good class and I feel like there's a lot more there as far as a resource than necessarily, you know, it's, it's a, it's a takeaway, you know, that it's who, you know, not what, you know, kind of a thing. So,
0: yeah, I know this past year, I, uh, I've, been, worth some wood, knock on wood, haven't had, uh, much kidding over my, uh, years, but one of my friends <clears throat> called me like Carrie get down here, went down and I mean, it was the biggest buck. We could not get it out. And, um, Finally, I'm like, you know, one last, give me one last shot at this. Like, give me, y'all got a dog leash. We didn't have a kid pull or anything. And anyway, we got the buck out and it um of course that did did not make it. Um, but I ordered that Kelly's kid puller right after that because mm-hmm. I was like, man, if we would have had that from the get-go, we could have pulled that guy um a lot quicker. It would have been a lot easier on the dough. Kidding problems. I hate it. I hate it when everyone starts kidding, and uh, you know, like December, and then you start mm-hmm. seeing. You know, it's wonderful to see all the success stories, but man, I hate those uh, dystocia issues. So, and I
3: will say uh, one other thing that he echoed that our vet had told us over this last season of, of talking with her was: if you have to go in, don't be afraid to go back in and make mm-hmm. sure that you're done. You know, if you've got a go that you have had a problem with, so you've already had to to mm-hmm. you know get inside. Don't wait between. If you got that one kid out, get back in there, see if there's other kids, get it over with, and uh, you know, don't let her let her keep going because you've already been yeah. in there, so it's you're already contaminated. Just go.
0: Yeah, I've done that before. Fished out one, mm-hmm. fished out two, fished out three, yeah. fished I out four. How many more kids are in here? <laughs> yeah. Well, Wendy, how many?
3: When, how many
1: kids could be in there? <laughs>
0: well, we get to number five and have it be
1: dead and be thankful because there's two more behind it. Yeah, yep. I don't ever want that to happen again.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. when had seven this year, that's yeah. crazy. I, yeah, yeah it was, oh my it, it goodness, was
0: absolutely crazy. I had five I this like year, and that was my first time. Oh so. my gosh, that's a lot.
2: Yeah, yeah, like two. Two is nope. a good
0: number. It's two. It, there's yes, two kids. Two. two. Kids. <laughs> two. Everyone, well, let's have a let's a moment of silence two. for two. Everyone, hold two. up two, mm-hmm. two. Okay, hey, I
1: wanted to jump in with yeah. one of the vendors. She was back in yep. the other corner next to Biogenics, uh, Delta Livestock. Ooh, I have some info. Smart on that. reproduction, and they it it's not proven on goats yet, but it's. Um, I want to say w- what did she tell me? Nineties. 97- some percent accurate maybe 99 with cows and it is a blood test on farm pregnancy test so they're i want to say they're about ten dollars a piece so you're not going to save money from what you would do if you send it into the lab but you can know like i i'll have to read what the uh, you know i bought 10 what can i say but i have to read about what the date is how soon you can test um and you get the little, uh, little. it's like a little card, sort of like your COVID test. And then you get some purple top tubes and the vacutainer needles, although I'm not going to use those because when I draw blood, I'll draw the blood for all my biosecurity. And on the dose that I want to do pregnancy test, I'll just pull some into the, the um, purple top. From my syringe, but this could be a game changer.
0: You yeah, know, I have some. I, I think mine are actually uh, going to be delivered tomorrow, so I actually yeah, ordered twelve a couple
1: days ago. That's why I had to run into the kitchen and find the card. But I'm pretty excited about it. I chatted her up for quite a while.
0: Yeah, um, she was a really nice lady and had a lot of yes. good information. So yeah, I bought some of those. I've been um, moving my biosecurity testing to every two years since I'm not bringing goats in anymore. Um, And so for me, I don't draw blood and send those off every year. So this would be a good kind of in between uh, thing to do on the farm since I didn't come home with my ultrasound. So
3: (laughs) also note that um, (laughs) it's also uh, smart. Smart reproduction, the company they work for, is also like a women-owned company that partners with, uh, USDA reps and does a lot of, um, work promoting goats around the world. Um, they've been doing a lot of work in, in, yes. Africa, um, and, um, down in the, uh, I guess uh, Australia and New Zealand, stuff like that with getting, um, the genetics that we've, you know, come mm-hmm. so far with in the, in the States out into the world and, and helping to promote and also bring some of their practices and stuff that they learned through, you know, Years of of doing goats, so it's a it's a pretty cool pr- a company to keep an eye on. I think.
0: Yeah, I. Agree. All right, well, um, just checking in with Toby. She's still. It's the weekend. She's still at her judge's training. Yep. So that's why training. she hasn't chimed in. We already we already heard all about that. Yep. So um, let's. So we're. I guess I was just kind of made some notes here. I know that uh, Nick and Wendy, you guys did um, a couple more of the A A S R P. If I could say that. Um, on Saturday and Sunday. You want to share what courses those were and just a few highlights and then we'll uh, start wrapping this up. Uh,
1: okay, so the class that um, that I got the most out of, but I probably can't articulate it very well, is, is the class the... on minerals. Okay, and this was, um, I want to say, I've got to go look it up who the the, the vet was that taught this. So was it
0: Trace Minerals, status, yes, it and Small like, Remnants? Yes. It looks like yes. it was Dr. Alexis Jennings from Oklahoma yes. State. Okay.
1: What a brilliant woman. She was just brilliant. And um, I'm going to tell you my takeaways from this class. She had very strong feelings about this because she's done necropsies on dead goats from copper bolusing. I've always kind of had a, a little discomfort. I've copper bolus I used to do it for years. And um, she said that the the animals that she's done necropsies on from mineral um, toxicity were copper. She would never use copper, copper bullets ever. If she has a goat that is significantly deficient in copper, then multimin, which is a bit—it's um, uh, injectable and it has copper, selenium, cobalt, whatever. I have that on the farm. I have used it. You would really only use it in a situation where you really had a copper deficiency. However, the mineral that we're the most deficient in and may mimic some of what we see when we think it's copper—when we think it's copper deficiency—is zinc. And she's um, never seen a zinc toxicity. So that was my main takeaway. And I've been struggling with zinc. So the other thing is, and you should probably, these are very expensive tests. But I did test last fall a random sample of my goats for whether I was hitting the ideal mineral levels. Um, You know, it was just sort of a random sample. And the one thing that I was a little bit low on at that point even was zinc. So it's a blood test that you need to spin down your, your, you put it in your regular red top tube, and then you have to um, put it in your, what's it called again, Nick? Centrifuge.
0: Centrifuge.
1: Centrifuge, and then you pull off the serum, and it's a serum test. That you can send in They do it here at the Waddle In um, Pullman But I'm sure they do it at other um, Vet schools also So there was a whole lot That I learned um, I'm not going to go into all the Details um, She did say That There is a product that she would have on Oh god I don't know What can I say Pro 40 I'm going to start using that And I'm going to probably not do a whole random sample. But if you have a goat that you have some concerns about, you can run a test. Mm -hmm. And I'm getting ready to buy a brand new one on Amazon. If Nick doesn't fix the one, he just got me to have my own centrifuge at all. (laughs) So I don't have to use a vet. I can do it myself. they are about 40 bucks on Amazon. So there you have it. that, That was not very articulate. I'm sitting here looking at
0: my notes. <laughs> <laughs> if your notes are anything like my notes, it's just scribbles. Uh, I, yeah.
1: <laughs> but no more copper bolus ever. That's what I wrote underlined.
0: Interesting. So. I wonder. So, yeah, that's kind of just another what goat hole. Probably need to go down because it's, yeah. you know, they're saying that. Minerals
1: are a major goat hole. They but, are. But, I
0: need but, to go to that same class
1: at least two more yeah. times.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Um, Nick, any, uh, you want to share uh, something from Saturday or Sunday, any classes that stood out for you? Uh,
3: well, we did, uh, another one of the AASRP classes, um, uh, was a, a raw milk, kind of look at raw milk in the, in the United States. Um, and that's obviously a very kind of polarizing subject, but it was interesting because the AASRP classes are ma- are geared towards veterinarians. Um, and so it wasn't so much a discussion on raw milk as, as we kind of get into the debate about it, but it was more a viewpoint as a veterinarian and, and your, your potential liabilities and stuff with raw milk. Because, um, according to, you know, as from a veterinary perspective, there is no safe way to consume raw goat's milk or raw milk in general, not even necessarily goat's milk. And there is a, you know, because the contaminants in it, um, can be harmful at a level that we cannot test for. Our tests are not accurate enough to test for levels that can make you sick from, from raw milk. So they say just, it's not whatever, but, um, so it was more of a, a based from the veterinary perspective of, you know, looking at in your own practice and stuff like that. So it was very interesting from that point of view. Um, but then I think the, you know, and then I got all the way for the weekend to, to help hold goats at the, the judging thing, which was great as well. <laughs> but I think the big thing we're missing from um, Saturday and Sunday is what happened between Saturday and Sunday, which was the spotlight sale. I'm not to take your thunder off. But um, the spotlight sale, I'm sure if you've looked at convention, you've heard of. And even if you haven't, you've probably heard of the spotlight sale. Well, and
2: it was live streamed. It was live
3: streamed. Um, it was pretty exciting. One, because we were there. And two, you know, we, we, Had a a friend that had a goat in the spotlight sale, and so that was kind of exciting as
2: well. And
0: did um, y'all, please tell me you bid a few times just to get it going. We were too
2: scared to bid. I was like, "No, I warned Nick. I was like, I will kill you if you raise your hand because we cannot afford these goats. And if you accidentally (laughs) buy one, we're going to be in big (laughs) trouble."
3: Well, and to be very competitive, he can't stop. (laughs) oh yeah and the one that I would have bid on we have a half sister of anyway so
2: yeah (laughs) there were some beautiful beautiful goats, and we were very lucky to sit at a table with a few of the consigners. so it was fun to like I don't want to say it was fun to watch them squirm but just to kind of like hear their perspective like it was it's very like nerve-wracking for those breeders and you know, just kind of like feeling that for them, like they want to know the goat goes to a good home and they want to get like the best price. And it was just like, it's very dramatic and very exciting and very glitzy
0: and very, yes, pomp and circumstance, yes. right?
1: Yes. I know, and, and- yeah, and and it's a real auction, like the mm-hmm. auctioneer, although, yeah, they needed to have more alcohol, also. Yes, that's what I was yeah, gonna say. Lacking of alcohol <laughs> the in
0: the bid seemed low compared to, um, so what was the highest, what was the highest goat? What did it go for?
3: Uh, $16,400. Yeah. Okay, so Nigerian, it really yeah. it like because they also have online bidding. Yes. Um, and I guess in the past, I've heard from other people that have been there that they kind of started the bidding in the room and then let it ramp up to where it was at online and then kind of went from there just so you get that excitement factor and this year they kind of started the goat at what it was what online. it was
0: online. The goat they that started... went for
3: sixteen thousand four hundred started at sixteen thousand one hundred. No, so. I think it was like thirteen thousand. But yeah. Anyway. But yeah, it was it was uh, a, great, a quote unquote exciting option for the top seller. The I think probably the most exciting one was um the one that was consigned by um uh Doctor Fauna Smith. Dr because that one it kind of started slow and then it ramped up and ramped up and it it, he did did pretty good it was a a nubian buck and she's you know we we've met her she's very at at the the national show and kind of made a little you know friends with her and stuff and so it was she was it was one of the ones that was a little more emotional um Mm -hmm. so it's just it's it's cool to get in you know once again with these people that have been doing it for years and see that they're They've still got stakes in it, and to know that that passion stays around. The passion that we're feeling is new into this sticks around, and that's the people that are going to be, be there, and so, we, you know,
0: it's, it was a lot of fun. And the spotlight said... In simple. 2000...
1: Uh, I'm just going to share. In 2019, okay. I don't remember how much the buck went for, but he was purchased by a consortium of Nubian breeders, and his name is Love and Stare. And he has been in Washington, in two places in Washington, I think Oklahoma, and Texas. And he stays with um, Carolyn Lawson at her farm, and there's another farm in Texas. So people that are looking at Nubians, you'll see him. He went for a bucket load of money, and it was a very exciting bidding. There were people that were bidding online, and there were people bidding in the room, and then I think that they there were people that joined the consortium while they were in while the room. While it's going, yeah. So the the price kept going up. So it, it can be a very exciting and very fun event, and just goat buck balls with sparkles on them is all yep. I gotta say. That's yep.
0: glitter everywhere. Glitter, glitter um, on tuxedos, fancy, formal. Um, The other thing, if you don't know about the Adga Spotlight cell and the Colorama cell, which is at the national show, those goats have to go through a rigorous application process. You can't just be like, hey, I want to sell my goat at the auction. It's uh, they have to. It, you know be established herds they have to pass health checks it's very um, much an honor to have your application mm-hmm. accepted uh, to have a goat uh, go at one of those auctions so very very cool um okay well any last let's do just some last comments to wrap up Tulsa and then we'll share the information about uh the 2024 convention Wendy I'll turn it over to you just kind of Last takeaway, okay. well, message to the listeners.
1: Yeah, so if you can get to add to convention, do it. That's, that's all I can say. Um, just
0: do it. Yeah, I think that's a and Nike slogan. You can fly there. Mm-hmm. And the
1: other thing you can do is you don't have to stay in the hotel. You could do like we did with Toby and Nick. We rented an Airbnb. And then we could make some meals. I've done Airbnb and hotel. I've done both. Yeah. So, and then
0: with the hospitality suite, that really helped with the yeah, cost. It really helped. Um yeah. but actually the rate at the hotel. I mean, I um, thought I was gonna have a friend join me, but it was like a hundred I mean, it was super cheap, like hundred and ten bucks a night. Um, wow, wow. at the at the Marriott. So it was, so they do negotiate and try to get a, a good rate. So Good
1: rates, but you have to up. get that, you have to get your room earlier Yes. while the block of rooms is still.
0: Definitely yeah. when the block of rooms get posted and when the schedule gets posted and registration is posted, like get on it that night and get registered for your classes you want to attend. They'll, they'll put out a rough schedule a little bit ahead of time, um, but that's the key because I know a lot of people are like, oh, I couldn't get into that class. So the fee workshops are limited um toby and nick this was y'all's first convention um obviously I, I really enjoyed meeting you guys having fellow minis breeders there what was y'all's takeaway and what is your advice for the listeners
2: i mean i think ditto what wendy said like if you can possibly go definitely go even if you're new like we're relatively new and it was still valuable and even if you're brand new i mean if you can invest the money and the time to go. It's super, super valuable. And we heard from so many people, you know, ad breeders and, and others that they wish they had started sooner with like a better knowledge base. So even if you are brand new, when you're just getting started, like you're only going to do yourself favors by kind of having a better understanding of what you're doing before you get too far down a path and realize like, oh my God, this is not what I want to be doing anymore. You know, so, um, yeah, I think it's super valuable. Definitely go if you can. And, um, you know, making those connections and relationships and meeting other breeders and meeting, you know, some of the breeders you've kind of heard about and read about and, you know, getting that that knowledge base is is super, super valuable.
3: And, and I'll just add, I know that we were talking specifically about convention in this one, but um, kind of along the same lines, if you have the ability to go to the national show if it's near you mm-hmm. or if you can you spare the day even if you can't go for the whole show mm-hmm. go on the sh- on the day you know your breed specific for you know well i know a lot of us on the nubian day and you know you may be thinking like Let's well watch. why would i go but you get to see the goats in action that are you know the top goats in the in the standard breeds in the country and you get to mm-hmm. i think the biggest takeaway from the, the, that show for us was it, it kind of defined the type of goat that we like and what we're going to read towards. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to get into the convention and, you know, there's people that are, are generational dairy goat people and they still go to convention and they still learn stuff. Mm-hmm. So whether you're new or you've been doing it, you know, longer than Wendy, like you're going to learn something. And it's going to be fun because you're around goat people and goat people are generally pretty cool.
0: I mean, the the other thing, you're going to bring all that knowledge and stuff back into your local community, into your buyers, into your goat friends. um, And, you know, even, you know, heck, let's let's have another podcast next year about what we learned um, from convention. So Wendy, you were going to have a last comment? No, see you in Lake Geneva. (laughs) all right yeah so let's get on to it all right so the 2024 agda convention is going to be in lake geneva wisconsin so you, many readers, I know there is a ton of y'all up that way. So I hope we can just pack it in. Um, it's going to be October nineteenth through the twenty fifth. So sometimes the veterinary CE is on the front side of it of the weekend. Sometimes it's on the back side. So that'll that kind of might move around. But generally, it's kind of the same format with all of these great classes uh, to stay up to date on the topic. So. Um, I know uh, we've got plans. Um, MDGA has plans to continue to be present at the AGDA convention with an educational booth educating on um, how many breeders are, you know, striving to improve the breed. And it's just, you know, just what everyone said. I'll second, third, everything. Just if you can, if you can make it go. I mean, the first, my first convention, it was in Austin. It was, you know, literally took me 45 minutes to drive there. And I just commuted each day and then actually stayed over the weekend a little bit and got to meet a ton of people and learn so much. And that was just kind of my my gateway in right after it was local to me. So if you're if you're local and you can drive, definitely do it. Um, Wendy and the Eshes, you guys flew all the way in. So that just shows your commitment to learning and education and Improving the breed. So just want to thank you guys for having us. So again, we had Wendy Valentine and Toby and Nick Esh as our guests on the podcast today. So we talked about a lot about a lot of things. I'm going to put some notes on the show notes, some of the links of what we talked about. Uh, but man, I thought we were going to talk for 30 or 45 minutes. I don't know how long we've been talking. Um, so hopefully we didn't lose your attention, <laughs> but um, yeah, well, mini Dairy Goat podcast listeners, we'll see you guys next time. Take care. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to the Mini Dairy Goat Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast for our new episodes. Share the podcast. Tell all your goat friends about us. Rate and review the podcast. And also you can hit us up on our Facebook page, Mini Dairy Goat Podcast, for more information and show notes. Thank you so much and happy goating.